All right, Trevor, we'll say good morning, good morning. Let us, let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Share to thank our Tamutora sponsors for the month of Elul. Shandian Avram Kelman for dedicating all the Sherman Joshua's this month in honor of Yechiel's engagement to Alana Falik and in memory of their parents, Jerome and Bernice Kelman and Alexandra and Frederica David Zichron and Livracha. To thank Barak, Maya, and Sandy Hoffman, Dora Limas, and Avi Malamed for dedicating all the Shi'urim this month in memory of Ruvain Ben Emanuel Zichron and Livracha. To thank Ayala and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating all the Shurim this month in the Schuss of Rufur for Shulamis Bas Susha. We thank Dafyomi Shir for dedicating the Shurim this month in the Schuss of Rufur for Yehuda Ben Michal. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Nisham Slav and Aliyah, the families in Chama, and all of those who need a Rufur will have one together with Kol Chole Yisrael. So we'll say with that, let us begin. We have a lot, we have a lot to do today, Baruch Hashem, but the truth is incredible, incredible Gemara, and um, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do it. All right, so today's Daf is 68. We left off yesterday on 67B, Samech Ches Amad Beis. We left off, Rabosai, if you notice again, there are the short lines, the intermediate lines, and the widest lines. We left off two lines into the widest lines. Ten Rabbanon. We'll say a very interesting suya. Eino ve'eino rotzel lehispanis. We'll say, say the following situation. Person will call him Ruvain. Ruvain doesn't have money. That's what it means. Eino. He doesn't have money. But eino rotzel lehispanis, which means he does not want to accept charity. Doesn't want to accept tzedakah. So what do we do? Nostin lo l'shum halva. We go ahead. See, he's not willing to accept charity. So what we do is we give him a loan. We give him, we tell him it's a loan. And then once he accepted the money, essentially then we say, okay, it's not a loan anymore, keep it. Keep it. So we convince him to take it as a loan. You give it to him as a gift. And then once he's accepted it, you transform it into a loan. The Gemara says, what does that mean? Remember, we're talking about a guy who's resistant to accept tzedakah. So if you offer him a gift, he's not going to accept it. Amarava, what it means is, What it means is, best begin by offering it as a gift. If he doesn't want to accept it as a gift, he will say, by the way, here's the difference. There's three different things that's happening over here. There's tzedakah, matana, halva. So this is a guy who doesn't have money. He does not want to accept tzedakah. So the first approach, the first approach of Rabbi Meir is, okay, so offer him a loan, because at least the loan allows him to keep his dignity, right? Remember, we'll say, when you lend someone money by definition, what does that show? What does that show? That you have confidence in them. To what? To pay back. In other words, you don't go ahead and lend someone money if you don't feel confident that you could, that they're capable. So by definition, offer them a loan. Once he accepts it as a loan, then go ahead and say, okay, you know what? It's a gift. The second of Rosh say, no, 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 offer it as a gift. Because a gift is a gift, right? A gift, a gift is just a nice, beautiful gesture. If he doesn't accept it as a gift, then go ahead and offer it to him as a loan. Incredible. So I'm a rabba. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Right, so, good. Next case. So this is an interesting case. So if a person has money, so this is an interesting case. He has, he has money. 
but he does not want to spend his own money on supporting himself. So instead, he wants to rely on communal tzedakah. It's actually interesting. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, So this is a fascinating case. And Rabbi said, you'd actually be surprised situations like this happen. Reuven has money. He has money. He does not want to spend his own money. So instead, what is he doing? He's withering away in front of our eyes. In other words, he's just not taking care of himself. He's so desperate not to spend his own money. So the question is, what do we do with him in terms of communal funds? So the Gemara says, We give the money to him as a gift. And then we go ahead and go back and extract payments from him. So the Gemara said, But if you go ahead and you extract payments from him, He's not going to accept the money. To which the Gemara said, No, 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 Misa. Rav Papa says, We give him the money, give him the money, let him take care of himself. And then after he dies, what we'll do is we'll go ahead and collect it from his estate. So Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Shimon says, So the Gemara said, Good, fine. If a guy has money, if a guy has money, but he does not want to use his own money in taking care of himself, we don't get involved in such a situation like this. In other words, I both say, what's happening over here is a fundamental machlokis in general about what do you do with a person who's not willing to take care of themselves? So do we intervene in such a situation like this? So first opinion says, yes, yes. Just because a person is not willing to take care of themselves doesn't mean the community can wash their, ha- wash them, wash their hands of him. And Rabbi Shimon says, look, the community can't help you any more than you want to help yourself. Which I will say, such a profound you so, right? All of us, all of us know people, all of us know people who need help, who need help. And we also know people who know they need help, but are not willing to do the work they need to do in order to help themselves. And it's a heartbreaking situation, because they want to help. They both say, but Rabbi Shimon's words are so true. No one could help you more than you are willing to help yourself. So Rabbi Shimon says, you have money, you don't want to spend it. The community can't help you more than your, you know what I mean? No, we'll say essentially what it comes down to is like this. No one could be more invested in your success than you are in your own success. Right? Or, better stated, you have to be at least as invested in your own success as anyone else's. And if you're not, if you're not, the world can't help you. Pretty incredible. So the Gemara goes weiter. Yeshlo. What happens if a person doesn't have money, but he also doesn't want to accept tzedakah? You say, okay, you know what? Give collateral and ultimately take the money. Which says, another way of saying what we said before, give him a loan. Give him a loan. Good. So I'll just point out here, the Gemara says, so remember again yesterday's daf, we already pointed this out. The Pasik that details the halach of tzedakah is incredibly repetitive. Remember again, the Pasik we're referring to is, Ki pasach tiftach es yad chalo, open up your hand, open up your hand to the ani. Now remember again, how do we translate? Ha'avet ta'avitenu, give him, give him. Right? Give him, or which other, you shall surely give him. But really what it means is, give him, give him. De machsero, give him enough to make him whole from which he, from which he is deficient. Asher yech that he is lacking. 
So it's incredibly repetitive. So watch this. The Gemara says, Havet, Havet, give. This refers to a person who doesn't have money but does want to accept tzedakah. So what do we do with such a person? We convince him to accept the money as a loan. Then we go in and we transform it into a gift. Give him. This refers to a person who has money, but doesn't want to use his own money to support himself. We give it to him as a gift. And we'll extract repayment for this, for this gift after his death from his estate. That's Rabbi Huda. If somebody has money and he does not want to take care of himself, we don't get involved with such an individual. We can't be more invested in your own success than you are. So what do you do with the second Tavitenu? Torah just speaks in the natural expression. Torah speaks in a certain words. It was common, words. we see this often, that biblical speak is repetition, right? That sometimes people say something twice in order to reinforce it. Okay, good. Well, say incredible, incredible Gemara. So here, here's, here's what we do know. What we do know about say is the Gemara is introducing us to the concept that, that sometimes in order to go ahead and go ahead and get a person to accept money that they need, you're allowed to change the truth a little bit. In other words, I want to give Ruvain Staka. Ruvain's not going to go and accept Staka. So what am I allowed to do? Tell him what? It's a loan. I can even accept collateral from him, knowing full well that what's my intention? As soon as that money reaches his hands, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm gifting it to him. I'm gifting it to him. Right, concept number two is if a person has but doesn't want to take care of himself, how much are we obligated to go ahead and help such an individual? Machlokes. Machlokes, one opinion says, okay, give it to him as a gift and just extract it from the estate after his death. Second opinion, don't do it. It's not going to work. Can't be more invested in someone else's success than the individual is himself. I will point out, by the way, that the Rambam highlights in Hilchos Tzedakah, in Hilchos Tzedakah, that the highest form of helping someone is giving them a job, right? In other words, the highest form of tzedakah is not a handout in any way. The highest form of tzedakah is help a person become self-sufficient. So this goes back to yesterday's daf, where we saw the concept that part of the idea of tzedakah is a restoration of a sense of self, right? When a person doesn't have what they need to take care of themselves, it erodes their sense of self. The mitzvah of tzedakah's help restore. So the Rambam says, okay, what better way to restore a sense of self than giving a job? Right? Only after, if you can't give a job, then these other levels kick in. Hava alone, because alone also helps restore a sense of self. You believe in a person, you believe in a person that they have the ability to repay, and so on and so on. Mimari tells a story, incredible story. Mar Ukva, Hava Anya Bishrihusa, Davaragal Koyoma de Shadile Arbat Zuzi Bitsinor de Dasha. Beautiful story about Seymar Ukva had an ani in his neighborhood, and every day he used to give this ani four zuz. And it was interesting, he would deposit it, Rabbi say, literally, Sinura de Dasha means the pivot of the doorway. See, there was like a little crevice in the doorway. He would drop money, he would drop money anonymously, anonymously in the pivot of the doorway. Yom Echad Amar Ezel Ihiman Ka'avit. So one day the honest list, I want to see who my, who my anonymous benefactor is over here. Right? I want to see who is leaving me this money every day. Listen to this. So we'll say that day, 
Marukva. So now here's this, right? So the Ani now is, is, is gonna, he's gonna hide and wait to see who is depositing the money. So what happened to Jose? So that day, Marukva got the lead in the base Medrash. Asya devisu bahade. So we'll say, so his wife came to pick him up from, from the base manager. It's quite beautiful. Wife comes to pick him up, and they together, they together go to drop off the money at the house of this, of, of this money. Kevin de chazua de kamasli leiladasha, nothing basrayim. So Omar Ukva drops the money in the, in the door pivot, right in the doorway. And the Ani comes running after, right? The Ani sees somebody just dropped money, the Ani comes running out. Marukva and his wife run. They run. They do not want to be discovered by the Ani. Rahut Mikame. They run away from the Ani. Aidilahu Atuna Dahavagrufa Nura. So it's like, listen to this story. They were so desperate to conceal their identity from the Ani. Because you will say, again, they wanted their act of tzedakah to be anonymous. Giving tzedakah anonymously, I will say, is one of the highest forms of tzedakah. I will point out there is an exception to this rule of, of anonymous tzedakah when, if people know that you gave, they'll be inspired to give. This way, people say in many situations, building funds, for example, right? Always encourage people to be, to, not to be anonymous, not to be anonymous, because if people say, ah, Ruben's giving, or Ruben's giving, I can give also. So there, if you have the ability through publicizing your involvement to encourage others to give and to be the catalyst for other people's tzedakah, then that's an incredible schos. But again, this type of one-on-one giving, Marokova felt anonymity was the key. So what did they say? Where did they hide? They ran into an oven. Now, this must have been one very big oven, right? They ran into an oven that had, been, had the coals raked out of it. Had the coals raked out of it. But it was still hot. So they were so desperate to conceal their identity that they ran into this oven. But so listen to this. Marukva's feet were getting burned by the floor of the oven. Obviously, it was very hot in there. Amar Devisu, so his wife said to him, Shakol kareich osid akaroi. Put your, stand on my feet. Her feet weren't getting burned. Stand on my feet. So I was say, Chalosh daitei. So Marukva was very, was very distressed. Because obviously my wife has some zuchos that I don't, that I don't, that her feet aren't getting burned and my feet are getting burned. So Amrale, she said, don't be upset. So I say, listen to this. So she said, don't worry, don't be upset. She said, I have a greater opportunity to perform tzedakah than you do. Number one, I'm home. I'm home. And therefore, again, when the Aniyim come to the house, I am always there to help you. You're ma'akva, you're out, you're out. And number two, I give them immediate benefit. How so? She said, when the Aniyim come to the house, I give them food. I give them food. You ma'akva, you give them money. You give them money. So therefore, again, money is great, but Lamai said, still have to go ahead and use the money to go ahead and purchase the food. So she said, because of this, I have certain zuchuyos that you don't have. And that's why her feet were not getting singed by the floor of the oven. I will say it is such a, it's such a beautiful, beautiful Gemara. I will say it's also, if you think about it, by the way, a beautiful metaphor in marriage. That in a good marriage, sometimes one spouse is able to stand on the feet of the other. No, in a marriage, you never, rarely do you have a situation where both spouses are strong. 
Usually in any situation, one is strong and one is stronger, right? Or one is strong and one is weak, right? This, this is like the, the, the back and forth, the Ratzel show of marriage. And in a beautiful, loving marriage, the stronger spouse says to the struggling spouse, stand on my feet. And I will say, you know, sometimes like when your children are young, and, and you know, you, you dance with your children. So they put your feet on top, or they put their feet on top of your feet, and you move around. And I will say that's such a beautiful moment in a parent-child relationship, because literally, again, my child is standing on me, and I'm supporting my child. In a marriage, sometimes you need the same thing also. Stand on my feet. Stand on my feet. Right now, you can't walk. Right now, you can't stand on your own. It's okay. When you can't stand on your own, you have me. You have me. And conversely, in those moments when I can't stand on my own, I'll have you. Such a beautiful Gemara. Umaykulihai says the Gemara, why do we need to run into ovens in order to go ahead and, and conceal identity? Right? So in other words, what, what's, what's going on over here? So the Gemara says, says, the Amri Lei Amrav Huna Barbizna Amrav Shem Chasida Vamnar Miochal Mishom Shem Yochai Noach Loli Adam Sheyim Sar Atzmolus Rochkiv Shanaish Ve Al Yalbin Pene Chavero Berabim. Wow, wow. Rabbi say why? Why? Where, where does this come of giving tzedakah anonymously? Why is it so important? It's based on the concept Rabbi say that it is better for a person to throw himself into a fiery furnace and not to embarrass his friend publicly. So I will say, this is a really interesting idea because here, remember again, this is the, we, we know this concept, right? We've seen it, the first time we saw this concept was in Masechus Brachas. I know this idea, but the truth is, Malvin Bnei Chavero is generally what? We, we assume it's actively embarrassing someone. Here, what the Gemara is introducing us to is the concept of embarrassing someone in the, in the, in the, in the performance of a mitzvah, right? Ma'okva is giving tzedakah, but you see that even in the performance of a mitzvah, one has to be vigilant that the act of the mitzvah in no way compromises the dignity of the other. Marokva felt this guy would have been embarrassed. He would have been embarrassed. So therefore, literally better. I will say now, I'll point out, the, the commentaries point out, noach means it's nice. It's nice doesn't mean it's an obligation. Right? It just means the idea that Chazal is trying to highlight over here is that so you have to be so careful about how you go ahead. And I will say, again, don't walk into furnaces and don't walk into ovens. And don't, in other words, this is not for us. First, for, what's for us is to be sensitive about the feelings of another person. But Ma'okva is taking this now to a new level that even the performance of a mitzvah. Where do we know this from? Minalon, mitamar dechsev, he mutzeis, he mutzeis. Well, remember again, this is not from Tamar, because Tamar is pregnant by Yehuda, right? But instead of embarrassing Yehuda per, uh, um, publicly, what she does is the person who owns the staff, the person who owns the signer, and this is the father of my child. And she leaves it to Yehuda. If you own it, good. And if not, I'm not going to embarrass you publicly. But we'll say an incredibly profound yisod, incredibly profound yisod about how careful we have to be with the feelings of the other. Next, Marokva. Let's listen to this story. Marukva. Marukva used to have an honor. We'll say a lot, a lot of stories of Marukva and Siddhaka. Marukva was also very wealthy. Very wealthy. So you see again what he did with his wealth. Marukva havi anya So Marukva had a poor person. Had a pauper in his neighborhood. And he used to send this guy... 400 Zuz every Erev Yom Kippur. 
So a lot of money every Arab Yom Kippur. Yoma Chad Shadrinu So one day, one year, Rav Mar Ukva sent this, sent the money with his son. Son comes back, says to his father, Dad, this guy does not need the money. Why? What did you say? I saw that he was, he was spritzing old wine. In other words, I would say people used to go ahead. I guess this was like Talmudic air freshener. So what, did he, so what did he use for air freshener? Aged wine. I will say, to start using aged wine as air freshener, you're doing pretty good. Right? You're doing pretty good. So the son comes back and he says, Dad, this pauper that you're supporting with all of this money is using aged wine as air freshener. I don't think he needs your money. So Amar Mefanki Kuli Hai, I finhu Fishadrinhu Nihali. So I say, so listen to this. So Amar Okva said, obviously, if this guy is using, if this guy is using, going, going ahead and using aromatic wine, so obviously he needs even more money. Amar Okva doubled the amount and sent it with his son. They're both saying, the idea over here was, remember, this goes back to yesterday's daf, that part of the mitzvah of tzedakah is when someone, when someone was once very wealthy and now lost that wealth, part of the mitzvah of tzedakah is the restoration of self. So Ma'okva felt this is what they were used to. This was the standard of living that they were used to. And ultimately, again, I feel now perhaps I should give them a little bit more money so that, again, help with that restoration of self. So they both say, again, as I mentioned yesterday's daf, one should not necessarily glean from that Hilchos Tzedaka Halacha Lemaisa. Because Hilchos Tzedaka Halacha Lemaisa are a little bit more complicated, especially given the fact that often we are faced with many competing needs. In any event, the point over here is that Marokva was sensitive that part of the mitzvah of Tzedaka was that restoration of self. Listen to how the story ends. Marokva's story ends. Ki neicha, ki neicha nafshe. When Marokva was dying, Bring my tzedakah ledgers. Ashkach shivas dinari sianki. Bose turned out that Marokva had given seven hundred sianki dinarim. Bose over his lifetime he had distributed an exorbitant amount of tzedakah. So Bose listened to this beautiful statement. He said, "Amar zavdoi kalili va'archa my load is light, or my provisions are light. Look at Rashi. Zabdoi Kalili, Tseida Kala Hakinosi Lederach Rechoka, Sha'ani Yotse La. I haven't packed enough. Essentially, I have very light provisions for a very long journey. Mandmar Okva said, As much tzedakah as I've given, I have not given enough. The tzedakah, I will say, again, the tzedakah that he was going to give, that tzedakah, that was what, those are his provisions for the journey, right? In the Olama Emes, in the Olama Emes, no one cares how much money you made. In the Olama Emes, the only thing they care about is how much money did you give? So he said, I'm preparing my provisions for the Olama Emes, and my provisions are very light. So we'll say, what did he do? We'll say, five lines up from the bottom. Samech Zayin day 67b. Come, biz bizay lepalge mamone. He went ahead, and at that moment, we'll say, from his deathbed, he gave away half of his wealth. Half of his wealth. I, the Gimar says, one second. Hey, how did he do this? We learned the halacha. In Ushay Institute, Rabbi said that what? You can't give away more than one fifth of your wealth, more than one twentieth of your, more than, more than 20% of your estate. 
supposed to listen to this. Hani mili michayim, shirei melechosav, aval la'achre misa, less lanba. I will say the takana of usha, that you cannot give away more than one-fifth of your estate is when? When you're alive. Because what was the logic? The logic is we don't want you giving to the point of self-impoverishment. When a person is about to die, they could give away whatever they want. Give away whatever they want. So that's what... So Marukva on his deathbed, Marukva on his deathbed, gave away even more tzedakah. But I will say, that metaphor, that metaphor that Marukva said, is the journey is long and my provisions are light. Right? So I will say, the journey to the Olama MS, what are your provisions? Your provisions are your mitzvahs. Your provisions are your mitzvahs. So do I have enough provisions to sustain me for the journey ahead. What a profound Gemara. Let's go back there. Rabbi Avoh Havaz Sayer Zuzi Besudre, Vishadile Lachore, Umamse Nafshi Lebe Anie. So we'll say, Rabbi Abba did something very interesting. He used to have money, he used to have money, like in a little pack or like in a little bag, and he would sling it over the back of his shoulders, of his shoulder. The Aniyim would know that that's where he kept the money, and they would come and take Sadaka as needed. He did it like this, why? So that he would not know the identity. They knew that he was there. They could come and they could take the money if they needed it. But he didn't have to know their identity. However, But he would go ahead and cast the glance here and there to be able to detect if anyone who didn't really need the money was coming to try to take it. So that's what the Gemara is introducing us to the concept that unfortunately there are unscrupulous individuals who come to go ahead and try to exploit the generosity of Klal Yisrael. So on one hand, he would maintain anonymity by not going in and looking at who was taking, but he would cast a furtive glance here and there to scare off any Ramon. Incredible. Rabbi Chanina Havahu Anya Davri Ragila Shadurde Arba Zuzi Komale Shabsa. Komale Shabsa. Rabbi Chanina had an Ani who used to send four Zuzim every Arab Shabbos. So the Gemara says, One day he sent the money with his wife, she came back and she said to him, that guy who you send money to every Arab Shabbos, he doesn't need the money. She says, why? She says to his wife, what did you see? My chazis. She said, I walked into the house and I heard the servants saying to this guy, what type of tablecloth would you like to use tonight? Top of Samachas. Literally again, you want, you want the silver cloths or the gold cloths? So what we'll Sarashi points out to me, it's not literally silver or gold, but rather again, it's a question of linen or linen or linen. Or, excuse me. <coughs> Thank you. Wool or linen. The point of here, I will say, is she saw a dramatic display of wealth in this guy's house. So she said, "I think he's playing you a little bit. I think he's playing you a little bit. You think he needs money? I don't think he needs money." So let's listen to this, Amar. So this, Rabbi, Yochan, Rabbi Hanina said, Amar, top of Samach has 68a, first line. Amar, We have to give an incredible thanks to Ramayin. We'll say, who are Ramayin? People who don't need to, right? How do you translate a Ramayin? A fraudulent individual, right? We have to give thanks to the fraudulent individual. So the people who take Tzedakah, even though they don't need it. Why? See, I will say, why is it good that there are fraudulent, fraudulent tzedakah collectors? Because if, every ba- if, if there weren't fraudulent ones, then we would be in trouble because sometimes we say no. Meaning what? Listen to this. Shana Amar. The Kara Alecha Al Hashem Vahayabachachit. I will say, the Pasuk Kavir is talking about if someone needs tzedakah and you don't give them tzedakah, 
they will call out against you to Hashem, and you will be considered a sinner. Wow. I will say, if I shield my eyes and give it stuck, in other words, if there is a tzedakah need and I don't rise to the occasion, it is as if I have, as if I've worshipped idolatry. It's incredible. It says over here, be careful, be careful, lest there be something bilial with your heart. I will say the word Billy Al is a contraction of Billy All without the yoke of heaven. So the Torah uses the same notion of Billy Al by Avodah and by one who does not give tzedakah. So I will say this is actually pretty incredible. So the Gemara says over here, failure to give tzedakah to someone in need is as egregious and as serious as worshiping idolatry. Were it not for the fact that there are frauds. There are people who are fraudulent, so that gives me pause before I give. So let's say again, Ruvain comes to me and asks for tzedakah, I don't give, and I don't give. So I'll say again, not giving tzedakah is a terrible avera. What's the saving grace? The saving grace is, I could claim that I thought Ruvain was a fraud. He's a fraud, right? And therefore again, so it's, I'll say, isn't it interesting how like you have to have a karasatov to everyone, right? Even the people who are fraudulent, right? Because even, even the fraudulent tzedakah collectors they save us. Because if everyone was genuine, if everyone was genuine, and I didn't give, and I didn't give every single time, I'd really be in a lot of trouble. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. There are some unscrupulous individuals who collect tzedakah inappropriately. They save me from hate. You know what you see from here? Everyone in this world has a purpose, right? And everyone has a tachlis. Even the ovre avera, right? Even the unscrupulous or fraudulent individuals they do an incredible service to Cloud Israel as well. So incredible. Tan Rabbanon. Hamasamius Eno. So we'll say a person who blinds his eye. These are, these are examples of people who try to portray themselves as having a need, but they don't really have a need. So someone who pretends he's blind. Or Hamas says Bitno. Or someone who pretends that his stomach is bloated because of hunger. Hamikafeach Ashoko. Or someone who goes ahead and pretends like his leg is withered, that he can't speak. So sorry, that I can't walk. So so again, all of these are examples of people who pretend like they have some type of disability in order to go ahead and collect tzedakah. So again, if, if you pretend that you have an infirmity in order to collect tzedakah, ultimately you will not leave this world until you actually suffer from this infirmity. So the Gemara says, So if a person receives tzedakah, and doesn't require it, ultimately, again, he will not leave this world until he suffers from poverty. So we'll say, this Gemara is also something very interesting. So I, I understand, it seems to what the Gemara is saying is, if you defraud tzedakah, if you defraud tzedakah, right, and accept it when you don't need it, so the punishment is, you'll come to need it. So we'll say, I think it's also something deeper. A person who relies on tzedakah, Right? What, what are they not doing? They're not striving for self-sufficiency. Well, I will say, you know what happens? After enough time of simply relying on others, that becomes your default. That becomes your default. You lose your drive. You lose your quest for self-sufficiency. So it doesn't even have to be a punishment. 
It could just be what? It could just be what? Just a cause and effect. Just a cause and effect. When you lose your drive for personalistic excellence, when you lose your drive for, for personal, for, for sustaining yourself, when you lose your drive for self-sufficiency, and you just rely on others, over time, over time, you just lose it altogether, and you really have to rely on tzedakah. Tanar Asim. Ein lechayven also limkaraz beiso, fez klei tashmi. Shavos is an interesting case. So let's say someone is in need. Let's say someone is in need. They show up to the communal tzedakah fund. But they have, they have possessions. They have possessions. So the Gemara said, we don't force a person to sell off their possessions before they collect money for tzedakah. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says, uh, is that true? Is that true? But yet we learn that what if a person was using golden utensils, we tell him downgrade. They sell off the gold utensils, buy silver utensils, and use the money to help your situation. So the Gemara says, so, or if using silver utensils, downgrade, downgrade to copper. Shabbos said, that's talking about when do we say that you have to sell off? That's talking about your bed and your table. When do we say you don't have to sell off? That's with cups and plates. Cups and plates we don't make you sell. Let's say a person is very particular about what they eat off of and drink from. So with your utensils, we don't make you sell that in order to provide, in order to provide necessary funds. A meat of a shulchan will, will make you sell it. Must really meat of a shulchan ami. Let's say that's not true. A person's bed. A bed people are pretty particular about. A shulchan people are pretty particular about. You're right. What are we talking about over here? Let's say Rabbi has a silver plow. So let's say if you have a, a plow made of silver. Okay. The truth is, what's the goal of a plow? To plow. No one needs a plow of silver. And I said, go ahead, sell that off. Sell that off. Buy yourself a regular iron plow, and now use the proceeds of that to go ahead and help support yourself. But perhaps your other utensils, what we'll call of daily living, we don't make you sell that off. resolution. He explains like this. That Allah, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, so first of all, I, I neglected to read one Rashi. We'll say, the Allah is as follows. In order to be able to collect, the only way you're permitted to do that is if you have less than 200 Zuz to your name. Here's the interesting question. Let's say, let's say, your, you know, your bank account says 150 Zuz, but you have possessions. And if you were to sell off those possessions, you'd have more than 200 Zuz. So the Gemara says, now the Gemara says, we don't make you sell off your possessions. We look at your cash position. The exception is, if you have some very grand items, like a silver plow, that we're going to tell you, sell that off. Sell that off. So that you're not really cash poor, and therefore you're not entitled to like a shechachan payoff. So the Gemara Surah Papa gives another example. Papa says that Allah says the same idea. 
person shows up, a person shows up in front of Bezin and says, I want to collect like a shikh on Be'ah. We look at his cash account. If he doesn't have 200 zuz, we'll let him collect. Even if he has other possessions, we don't make him sell it off. However, if it turns out that he illegally collected like a shikh on Be'ah, Bezin now wants to collect that again from his, from his possession. Let's say he doesn't have money to pay it back. In that case, we'll tell him to sell off his possessions in order to go ahead and pay back the debt to the community. Good. Mishnah. It was an interesting case. You have an orphan. An orphan girl whose mother or brother married her off with her consent. With her consent. So now what happens? So mother or brother marry off, marry off the daughter with her consent. They wrote her, we're going back now to the cases of the dunya. They wrote her a relatively small, a, a modest dowry. A modest dowry. So we'll say, what's taloha? So what's taloha? So the Gemara says, now, I'll point out over here, not only is she getting married willingly, but she accepts the dowry that they gave her willingly. So what happens? So the Gemara says, When she gets older, when she gets older, she can go back to the estate and extract the dowry that was really fit for her. Now, also, we're going to see that a father customarily gives a tenth of his estate for his daughter's dowry. So now they married her off, they married her off, and they gave her a, a relative, a small dowry. So when she gets older, she can go back to the estate and she can say, I want to take what's rightfully mine, i.e. one-tenth of my deceased father's estate. Rabbi Udom Rabbi says, Again, Rabbi Huda says, if a father married off his oldest daughter, right? So let's say again, Reuven has two daughters, Rachel and Leah. He married off Rachel, he gave her, he gave her a tenth of the estate. Now he marries off Leah, but now he passes away. Now they're, now they're marrying off Leah. So what, what, what dowry do we give Leah? Rabbi Huda says, we look at what he gave Rachel. Whatever he gave Rachel is what we give Leah. The Chumzeh, the Chumzeh, that, that's not a good model. Why? Chumzeh, you can't do that because sometimes, because sometimes a person's financial state changes in between the, the marriages of his children. In other words, maybe he was wealthy when he married off his first daughter and now he's poor. Or maybe he was poor when he married off his first daughter and he's wealthy. Now, essentially we do a valuation of the estate we do a valuation of the estate and we decide the, we decide the, the, the dowry that way. Good. So we'll say, let's analyze. So Amr Shmuel, Gemara says as well, Shmuel says, Le So we'll say, this is fascinating. Parnasa, Parnasa over here refers to Nedunya, refers to dowry. So we'll say, comes along Shmuel and Shmuel says like this. If, let's say, you know, we'll say, so this is a case where the father has died. Right? So father has died, daughter, right? Ruvain died. His daughter, Rachel, is getting married. We want to give her a dowry from the estate. How much do you give her? How much do you give her? So Shmuel says something very simple. Take a look at Rashi. The Parnasa Shaman Ba'av, Habas Yisoma, Shebasa Linase, Nostan Ladunya Kafi Omechano Bikim Ba'avya, Fachano Kamsan. So Shmuel says something amazing. Essentially, we look at the giving patterns of the father. Was the father a generous guy or a miser? And again, we, we, we essentially allocate the portion of the estate for the dowry in accordance with the giving, the giving patterns of the father. So, is that true? Daughters are nizonos, fed, 
and Misparnasos ultimately again supported from the estate of their father. Ketzad, Ein Omrin, Ilu Avia, Kaim, Kach, We don't say if the father was alive, he would have given her so and so. Ella, Shabbatasan, Chasven, Osinla. Rather, what do we do? We evaluate the estate and we give her a portion. My love, Parnosa, Sabarabos. It doesn't Parnos in this case mean. And you see from here that we don't look at the giving patterns of the father, rather we just allocate a portion of the estate for the dowry of the daughter. No, Parnosa means her actual day-to-day support. I honey zonos umisparnosos katani, but it says nizonos and nisparnosos. Nizonos means what? Nizonos means her day-to-day support. Misparnasos, I think, means her nedunya, her dowry. Both are referring to her daily support. One is referring ultimately again to her eating and drinking, and one is referring to her clothing. Two separate allocations. So, so we'll say, so therefore, again, I just want to point out what, what, we're, what we're going to run up against over here. We're trying to figure out a statement to Shmuel. So Shmuel says something amazing. Shmuel says, Ruvain died, his daughter Rachel is now going to get married. The estate has an obligation to provide Rachel with a dowry. What's the question? How do we how do we know how much? So what does Shmuel say? Look at the giving patterns of the father. If the father is a generous guy, give her a generous dowry. The father is a miser, give her a smaller dowry. So here we go. Second wide line. Sometimes Remember again, Abba said the first opinion in the Mishnah, Rabbi Huda said that Reuven, Reuven married off his daughter Rachel, and now he died, and now Leah is getting married. So what do we do? The Chum say, look at what he gave Rachel, and give the same thing to Leah. The Chum came along and said, you can't do that, because sometimes people's financial situations change in between the marriage of children. So the Gemara says, that my Ani umai Asher, what does it mean, Ani Asher? Inema Ani Ani Benechasim, Asher Asher Benechasim, if it literally means ani, he's poor, possession-wise poor, rich, possession. So what the Tanakhama says, that we give the second daughter a dowry independent of Ruvain's current financial situation, that doesn't make sense. So the Gemara says, Rather, I will say what it must mean is like this, ani must mean someone who is ani bedas. I will say, what does it mean ani bedas? Ani bedas means... I'm an ani in my mindset. In other words, in the way that I give, I'm, I'm miserly. Or in the way that I give, I'm wealthy. And yet we say, despite that, the Chachamim say, we don't look at his giving patterns. Rather, what do we look at? The estate. Rather, I'll say, what do you see? We do not go after the umdina. I'll say, in this context, umdina means we assess the giving patterns of the father. So you see from here that we do not assess the giving patterns of the father. Rather, we look at how much money the estate has. This effectively refutes the position of Shmuel. So we're not, we're not fully refuted as we're going to see in just a moment. But what we have are these two different models for assessing the value of the dowry. The Shmuel model, where we go ahead and we look at the giving patterns of the father himself. 
And the Chachamim model is we look at how much money the estate itself has. Let's go right there. To which the Gemara says, Hu damr Rabbi Yehuda. Shmuel himself holds like Rabbi Yehuda. This time, here we go. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Im hisi basa rishona, yinasim lishniak yidash nasa rishona. Or as if Rabbi Yehuda says, Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Yehuda says, when we're trying to figure out how much, how much of a dowry the estate should give daughter number two, let's look at how much money father gave daughter number one. Let's just assess his giving patterns. To which the Gemara says, why don't you just make this whole thing easier and just say, B'nei Malach Rabbi Yehuda. Just say, Dalach Malach Rabbi Yehuda. Yom Malach Rabbi Yehuda, Hava Amina, Davka Hisiya, Tegalei Daite. If the Gemara would have said, Alach Rabbi Yehuda, I would have said that only works when? In a case where the father has actually married off a daughter. Because in that case, he's revealed his actual giving pattern. But in a case where he didn't give a, where in a case where he didn't marry off a daughter, perhaps we would not go ahead and assess his giving patterns. Therefore, I will say what you see from here is that really it actually makes if you go basra umdina, if you go after giving patterns, it doesn't make a difference whether the father ever married off a daughter or not. Because you're both saying, well, it's obviously it's helpful if the father married off a daughter, because then we can see what he actually gave as a dowry. But even if he didn't marry off a daughter, what we do is umdina means look at the way he spends his money or he gives away his money. Is he a generous guy or a miserly guy? The only reason it brought up the case of where he married off a daughter was to teach you the position of the Chachamim. The Chacham say, even though Ruvay married off a daughter, and we see that he gave a generous or a miserly dowry, we do not look at that in assessing the dowry to give daughter number two from the estate now that Ruvay has died. We do not use past historical giving patterns as a way of assessing the value of a dowry from the estate. Rather, what do we do? We look at how much money the estate has. So I'm going to say, fundamental machlokas. They say over in your name that the Allah follows Rabbi Yehuda. And I will say again, remember, Rabbi Yehuda and Shmuel say the same thing. We go basr umdina. When trying to figure out how much the estate should give the daughter for a dowry, we look at the past giving trends of the father. So this Rava said to Rav say in your name that the Allah follows Rabbi Yehuda. Amr So Rava said, Yehei Rava. They should always say such over such beautiful things in my name. Beautiful. If a daughter is being supported by the brothers, which Rabosai means that father died, daughter gets mizonos from the estate, brothers inherit the estate, the daughter is entitled to one tenth of the estate for her for a dowry. So what does that tell you? That's one-tenth of the estate, independent of what? Independent of what? The father's giving patterns. You see from here, we don't look at what the father gave, what the father didn't give. She's entitled to one-tenth of the estate. To which the Gemara says, It's very simple. I will say, that could be referring to a case where we don't know the giving patterns of the father. In other words, I will say, the idea of going basar umdina only works when, only works when, when? When you know the father, the deceased father, and you know how he gave. Remember, you can have many situations where we don't know the father, we don't know the guy, and therefore we have no idea about his historical giving trends. So in the default, Rabosai is that the daughter gets one-tenth of the estate for her 
Dari Hey Akinaim Sarudam Rav Adamar Ava My seven us not Rabbi Echa Mishnema Sarin Vinikasim. There was a story one time Rabbi gave a girl one twelfth of the estate for her Nidunya, Kashna Dadi. So is it one tenth or one twelfth? Elashramina Hadamdine Hadulam Dine Shmamina. I'll say again, it's not a contradiction. Rebbe will agree that when we know the father, we, we go ahead and we allocate the Nedunya based on his historical giving trends. Like Rabbi Huda, like Shmuel, Basar Umdina. If you don't know the giving patterns of the father, then what do you do? The default is one-tenth of the estate. Gufa, Omer Rabbi Basin, no If you have a daughter, Sarabal says, the father died, sons inherited the estate, Daughter is supported by the estate and gets one tenth of the estate for her dowry. Amr al Rabbi, Lidvarech, listen to this. According to your logic, Mishishlo Esser Banos Ubain will say, if Ruvain has ten daughters and one son and now he died, so what's going to be the halacha? Elo Lubain Bamakom Baros Klum. Then I will say, if there are ten daughters, each daughter gets a tenth of the estate, and that means there's nothing left for the son. Amr al no, 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 Kachane, what's what I mean to say? No, 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 what happens? They don't each get a tenth of the estate. Rather, what happens over here? Daughter number one takes a tenth. Daughter number two takes a tenth of what's left. Daughter number three takes a tenth of what's left. And they, they take successive tenths. Then what do they do? Something very interesting. He suggests, then what happens? Then they pull their tenths and then they divide that up equally ten ways. So the Gemara says, the Chol goes b'shava on the base. Kochada v'chada. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. Kochada v'chada denafsha shakla. Why are they pooling their interests and then dividing it back up equally? Everyone took what they were entitled to. Hakar was what it means to say. Was it fascinating? In both kulam lehinase ka'achas chol goes b'shava. The boss says a great case. So if Reuven Reuven dies and Reuven leaves, leaves ten daughters and one son, so the boss says, so what happens? The son inherits the estate. What do the daughters do? What do the daughters do for their nedunya? Each one takes a tenth. But again, on both sides, they don't take a tenth simultaneously. Rather, again, daughter number one takes a tenth, and then they each take a tenth from what is left over in the estate. What happens if halacha l'maisa again? If halacha l'maisa, they're all getting married at the same time. Bar Hashem. So I'll say, so in that case, they'll still take each one a successive tenth. In that case, because they're all getting married at the same time, then they'll pull their interests and then divide it up, divide by 10, see equal, each one gets an equal portion. But I will say, that's in a unique case where all 10 daughters are mamish getting married at the same exact time. But if that's not the case, each daughter takes a 10th of whatever is left over from the estate. So the Gemara says, Hagi Kamarev, good. So the Gemara says, Right, if they come to get married, all of them take a tenth. So the Gemara says, "Iser echad They take one tenth. Ella notlos iser keechad. Rather, what it means is they all take their tenth like one. In other words, what it means they all take a tenth. And again, the way it works, Allah Chalamai says each of them take a successive tenth. But again, if they're all getting married at the same time, there is this unique halacha that they pull their interest and divide it equally ten different ways. Beautiful. So we'll say, girls, if a girl becomes a bogeres but hasn't yet gotten married, or they got married before bagrus, they've lost their mizonos, but they have not lost their ability to collect a dowry from the estate of a rabbi. So we'll say, so just listen to what's happening over here. So rabbi says, 
that halacha lemaisa, a girl is only entitled to mezonos until when? Only entitled to mezonos either until marriage or bagros. Marriage or bagros. However, again, according to Rebbe, a girl never loses her ability to go ahead and collect her dowry. Shimon Elazar Omer, Shimon Elazar says, Af ibdu parnasasan. No, no, no. Once a girl either reaches bagros or ultimately gets married, no, no, what does it mean gets married? Gets married and accepts a lower amount for her nedunya, for her dowry, ultimately ibdu parnasasan. She's lost any further claim to enhanced dowry as well. So what's this fundamental machlokas? So so we'll say, so what should a girl do? So we'll say, what it literally means is, what should a girl do? She should hire a husband in order to get her dowry. In other words, we'll say, sometimes you have to create a financial incentive for marriage. So in other words, so Lamaisa, again, the girl could say to a potential suitor, listen, marry me now, because I will receive a larger dowry if you do. Okay, so we'll say, this is a fundamental machlokas. Rabbi Hashem and Allah. Aram Nachman, Aram Lihuna, Hilchasaka Rabbi, Dalaka follows Rabbi. So we'll say again, what does Rabbi say? Rabbi says that a girl loses Mizonos, Mizonos, either at the age of Bagrus or at marriage. When does she lose her ability to collect in the dunya from the estate? The answer is, she doesn't. She always has that. So I will say, so if she becomes a vulgaris, or for that matter, again, we saw this actually in the Mishnah, even if she gets married, and let's say she was only given a smaller nedunya, she has the ability to go back to the, to the estate and reclaim that which is rightfully hers. So the Mordecai is say, Rav Rav Nachman, so Rav Rav is Kashat Rav Nachman, Yisoma, she is here, Ima, Oach, Amidai, Tabos, Ezra, Mishnah, right? So you have a Yisoma, whose mother or her brother married her off, Midaita. Bosa Midaita means she consented to the marriage and what? She consented to the to the Nidunya amount. The cost of Leva Meobachamishim, Zuz, and Bosa, all she got ultimately again was the lower amount, was the lower amount of Aksuva. So the Gimara says, Ultimately again, she can go back and take from the estate that which she is truly entitled to. Taima Diktana. Now here's what's interesting. The reason this works, why? Is because she got married as a Kitana. Hagidola, vitra lo, Hagidola, vitra lo. Well, so what do you see from here? It sounds like that Allah reminds if she was a Gidola, in other words, either, either a Nara or a Bogeres, and got married and accepted this lower amount for her Nadunya, then what? She would not be permitted to reclaim it. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 lo kasha, hadamachoi, hadalomachoi. I will say one is a case ultimately again where she objected, and one was a case where she didn't object. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, So I will say, even Rebbe holds that in order for her to go back and collect Nadunya from the estate, she has to make, she has to object. Or she has to say, fine, I'm getting married with this Nadunya, but this is not what I'm really entitled to. I'm really entitled to more. As long as she lodges a formal complaint, she has the ability to go back and collect it later on. But if she never lodges a formal complaint, then what? Then what? Then she, she, she's been mevaterish, she's yielded, and doesn't have the right to go back. We'll have to stop over here for today. We'll pick up in Meretz Hashem with the Sachinami tomorrow.